So today is a Sunday that sort of has a bit of a missions focus, right? If you think of what's going to be happening after the service, our Meet the Missionaries. Uh, and I wanted to, as we're focusing on missions, as we're going to be doing that, having that special event, I wanted to preach a sermon that sort of ties in with that, that sort of fits that theme, make it a little bit of a mission Sunday in a sense. And so I decided let's, let's preach on missions. Specifically, really, as we think of this topic of missions, we're going to look at the Great Commission, we're going to look at some other passages. Really, I want us to to understand it in in this framework, that really this is God's mission, right? It's not just this is the mission that we are given as the church, that is true, but most fundamentally, God has this great mission in the world, this wondrous rescue mission that if he wanted to, he could accomplish all on his own, miraculously just bring it all about, but he is gracious and delights in inviting us into this great mission of his, this rescue mission of his and he calls his people to participate in it, to have a share in it it is a great blessing and should be a great blessing and joy that we get to be a part of this wondrous work that God is going about this work of rescuing people who are trapped in their sin, lost in darkness under his judgment, right? He is going about and rescuing people all over the face of the earth, bringing them into the fold, into his kingdom, saving them from their sin. And he says, my people, you get to be a part of this with me. And it's a great joy, a great privilege to have that role, to be invited into that great mission, rescue mission work of God. And we're going to take a look at some scriptures and really what, what God's word has to say on the matter of missions. This great mission that God has that he invites us to be a part of with him. And we're going to start with the Great Commission. Probably a a pretty logical place to start and where you might imagine. So you can flip open your Bibles to Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 through 20. And I will read this for us. And here's what it says. Starting at verse 18. It says... Then Jesus came to them, them being the disciples. So Jesus came to the disciples and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And I want to sort of work our way through this passage and and really talk about what's being said here, what's going on here. Right, and it starts with, if we want to think of the context here, it starts with Jesus speaking to the disciples. Now, there could be a temptation here to look at this and say, oh, well, you know, we have this great commission here, and it's for the disciples. It's for them, and so they go and they carry this out, and then the work is done, and we don't have to to be bothered by, by doing this. And actually, for quite a long span of history in the life of the church, That was the way of thinking, right? This was a great commissioning that was given to the disciples. They had this work of of going throughout the nations, right? In the sense, sort of the Roman world and elsewhere, uh, and preaching the gospel, and then surely they fulfilled it. That was the thinking for generations upon generations in the history of the church. But we recognize uh, certainly that is not the case, that this is a commissioning that's given just to the disciples, and we have no share in it. But rather, yes, initially it's given to them in sort of a leadership role, right? These are the disciples. They are have a leadership role in the early church, uh, and of course in this missional work of God, uh, reaching the nations with the gospel. But this is a commissioning that's for everyone who is a follower of Christ. We can't look at this and say, hey, this isn't for me, this is just for the disciples, so I don't have to pay attention. But rather, we need to recognize, hey, I'm a follower of Christ, this commissioning includes me, this is a command for me to be faithful to and live out. 
Uh, and so we need to recognize that. So even though it's spoken directly to the disciples, it's not just for them. It's for all who are followers of Christ. And here's what Jesus says. He says, starting out here, right, verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, I'd say there are two things going on here. One is probably a little bit more immediate and obvious, and you might think, well, why does Jesus bother to say this? Well, he's sort of adding emphasis to his command, right? If you, if you sort of are going to give a command, and you begin that by saying, by the way, I have all authority in heaven and on earth, it sort of adds a weightiness to the command, right? If I'm the one who has supreme authority, then any command I give, you ought to follow and live out uh, faithfully. And so certainly that is the case. That's one thing that's going on, is Jesus is sort of before he gives the command already adding this weightiness by making clear his great authority over everything, that he is the supreme authority. But there's another aspect of what's going on here, and he's saying this, right? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, right? What he's trying to say here is it's not just that I'm the ruler of the people of Israel or, or the Jews, the people of Judah, the remaining kingdom, that southern kingdom that was now under Roman rule. It's not just that I'm the leader of this group of people, and therefore these people ought to bow down and worship me and acknowledge me as king and as ruler. But rather, he's saying, I have authority over the whole of the earth, of course, the whole of everything, period, end of story, but part of that includes the whole of the earth. I am ruler over every nation, and therefore, as ruler over every nation, it's only right and appropriate that people from every nation ought to bow down, worship me, acknowledge me as Lord, as God, as Savior. And so that's also why he's saying this. He's sort of setting up this, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations by saying, by the way, I'm the ruler of every nation, and therefore what logically follows is people from every nation ought to acknowledge that fact and bow down and worship me. And so, hey, you disciples, well, you need to go to the nations and tell them about me. And so that's what he's saying there as well. So verse 19 here, sort of getting to the core of this great commission, here's what Jesus says. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And a little, a little worth noting here, this word for nation, oftentimes we might read that and we sort of think of, of a country, right? We think of sort of the governing structure, a country, the United States of America, or France, or you name it, some sort of country, United Kingdom. Uh, but really the word here denotes a, a people group. It's not about sort of uh, borders of a, of, a, of a country, of a state in that sense, but really this is a people group, a people who share a similar language or culture and so forth and so on. So he's saying people from every people group, and there can be many people groups within, within an actual country, right? People from every people group. Uh, ought to be made disciples. And so he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, of every people group. And then he really goes and sort of fleshes this out a little bit. What does this going and making disciples look like? Right? Oftentimes when we think of discipleship, we might think of, well, once someone's already a believer, then we, we talk about discipleship growing in, in the faith, in a sense, growing in spiritual maturity. But here when he's talking about making disciples, it's really both the, the two sides of, of things with the evangelistic side of reaching people for God's kingdom. That's part of the making of disciples that Jesus is speaking here. Well, first you've got to go, you've got to proclaim the gospel and, and, and lead them to faith, and, and then they enter into God's kingdom. There's sort of that evangelism side of things. That's one aspect, and we'll talk about that. But then there is the other aspect that we often speak of in terms of discipleship, but it's sort of the, the more of uh, helping people to grow in their faith, right? You, you come to faith in Christ, but there may still be, and indeed there is a lot of sin lingering in our lives, and we may uh, and indeed do need to grow spiritually in so many ways and be rid of sin, take off the old self, put on the new self, as we talked about not too long ago, not too many weeks ago. 
Uh, and so there's also that side of things as well that Jesus is going to speak of here. So he says, go, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And what does this look like? Well, there's the evangelistic side, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So there what he has in mind, of course, it's not just, you know, you go and you do this ritual and you baptize people, but you go, you proclaim the truth of the gospel, people come to faith and they're baptized, right? They're brought into the fold, they enter into God's kingdom through faith in Christ, of course, and, and naturally you baptize them. So speaking there, well, part of this disciple-making process, it's, it's leading people into God's kingdom. But it isn't just that, he goes on, and, this is verse 20, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, right? This, this continued growth in, in obedience and love for God, this, this continued spiritual growth that we often speak of in terms of discipleship, well, that needs to take place as well. And so he's saying, when I tell you to go and make disciples, to go and make followers of mine from people amongst every people group, well, here's what it entails. It entails the evangelism side of things, leading them into my kingdom, right, Jesus is saying, but it's also then helping them to continue to grow and understand what I expect of them as my people, the commands that I have for my people, helping them to faithfully live that out and grow spiritually and mature in faith. And then this is how Jesus closes this, and very significantly so. He says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And that's not just some sort of, well, Jesus happens to close that way because, you know, it sounds nice, it sounds good, it's great. Uh, but there's great significance to it. What he's trying to say here is, it's not that I'm giving you this, this great mission, this commissioning, right? Of course, it's, it's God's mission front and center, but we're invited into it. And there's a commissioning here of, of joining God in this uh, missional work that he has of reaching the lost for his kingdom. But it's not just, oh, I'm inviting you into this work and, hey, you're on your own. Hopefully you have the skill and all the equipping that you need to accomplish this work. Hopefully you're a good speaker. You're good at, you know, uh, you know, all sorts of things, changing hearts, changing people and so forth, right? Hopefully you have the skill to accomplish this. That's not the case. But rather, he says, don't worry about it. You're not going to be on your own. It's not just that I'm sending you out, my followers, to do this all on your own strength. But, of course, it's fundamentally his work. And he says... By the way, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age, right? I'm going to be with you as I send you out to go and accomplish this great work of reaching the lost for my kingdom and helping them to grow and mature in the faith. You're not going to be on your own. You're not going to do this on your own strength. In fact, if that were the case, your, your work would be utterly fruitless, he would say. But rather, I'm going to be there with you. I will accomplish my kingdom-building work. I'll use you as instruments in my hand, of course, God is saying. But I will equip you. I will give you the strength. I will give you everything you need for this work that lays before you. I will be with you and help you in this work. And in fact, we see that in another scripture that I want us to turn to. Uh, this is in Acts chapter 1. You can flip there if you'd like. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. and really says much the same thing. This is Jesus speaking here, again, speaking to the disciples, not that it's exclusively for them, right? Certainly speaking directly to them, that this can be said to all of us. We're all invited into to this uh, missional work of God. But here's what Jesus says. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Right? So they've been given this, this commissioning. They've been given this work to go and be witnesses for Christ, not just where they are, yes, initially where they are in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, but even, in fact, to the ends of the earth. But we notice how this verse starts, and it starts this way. 
but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And it's not just that these two statements are are just randomly side by side, but the whole point that Jesus is making is, I'm giving you this work to be my witnesses faithfully where you are, but even to the ends of the earth. But again, you're not going to do this on your own. It's not going to be on your own strength, and hopefully you're just mature in the faith enough, and you have all the skill to accomplish this. But rather, the way he starts out is by saying, right, I'm going to give you and pour out upon you the Holy Spirit, and he will equip you. This is the sense that's being said here, even if not explicitly stated. He will equip you in every way for the work that lays before, right? You have this great mission before you to join me. Of course, Jesus is saying to join me in this kingdom-building work of mine, right? You can't do it on your own strength, but I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. He will equip you. He will empower you. And you will be able to carry out this work in his strength, in his ability, in his power. That's what's being said So as we think of missions, we're going to look at some other scriptures here, but just sort of to to recap in the sense where we've gone so far. Certainly, as we think of missions, it's something that's hugely significant, hugely important. In fact, here in Acts, these are effectively the parting words of Jesus before, if we were to read on just for a few more verses, he ascends into heaven. So if you think about it, these are the last words of Jesus to his followers, right? It's awfully significant. It's awfully important. This this missions work that God has given to the church, it's his work, but he invites us into that. Uh, This is hugely important and significant in the life of the church. It's one of the fundamental roles that he has given to the church, one of the core activities and works of the church that he calls us to. But again, he says, it's not that I'm going to leave you on your own to do this work. I'm not just going to send you out sort of helpless to go and do it on your own when you can't do it on your own. But everything that is done in service to God and service to the building up of his kingdom, right, reaching the lost for his kingdom, needs to be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been given the Holy Spirit to aid us, to strengthen us, to equip us, to empower us for this work. And this missions work that God has invited us into must be done in his power. But I want us to to look at one more verse here. We're going to look at actually two more passages, but one at this point. We're going to turn to Romans. And this this just sort of reiterates, in a sense, some of what I've I've already said, but the great importance of missions, right, in the life of the church. This is Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 15. And as I said, this illustrates the importance of missions work in the life of the church. So starting at verse 13, Paul speaking, of course, here, writing to the Romans, he says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Right, to put it simply, right, if you're, in a sense, just to put in a quick statement, basically what Paul is saying here is, you know, you have these people who are living in darkness, who literally know nothing of Christ, know nothing of his name, who he is, what he's done. They know literally nothing. And, and right, the only way for them to be saved, well, it, it's through faith in Christ. Well, how can they believe in him if, if nobody has gone and told them about him? about Jesus, right? How are they expected to believe in Christ if there's nobody who's even gone and shared with them all about Christ and what he's done? And therefore, there is a great importance and significance placed on missions work, on people going and sharing, whether it's going to some far-off place on the other side of the world and going and sharing all about Jesus and what he's done 
for us to people who've literally never heard about Jesus, or even if they've heard a little bit about him, they don't really necessarily understand the gospel and what he did for us and this, our sin problem and how Christ has solved that problem for us, right? They need for someone to go, and there's great importance placed on someone going and, and proclaiming that word, but it, it, it isn't necessarily just way on the other side of the world, but the reality is, even all around us, we might think that, well, we live in sort of a world or culture that is aware of Christianity. That's part of our heritage. You expect that, you know, if you go along the streets, even if someone's not a Christian, they'll probably know who Jesus is, and they might not know a few facts about him. You know, well, he lived way long ago, and didn't he die on a cross, or something like that. But that doesn't mean that they really understand anything about the gospel that anybody's ever really shared with them all about Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us. They might just know a few empty facts, but nothing more than that. And so it's not just all the way on the other side of the earth, but there are people even near us who really don't fundamentally, in a, in a true way, in a, in a deep way, know of Christ and what he's done for them. And so this huge importance placed, and here this is what Paul's saying, on someone going and actually bearing witness for Christ and sharing the truth about who he is and what he's done for us. And so this missions work is, is hugely important in the life of the church. Someone needs to go and tell the people who don't know all about Jesus. And if they don't know and no one goes and tells them, well, how are they going to believe, of course, and therefore how are they going to be saved? And so missions work is hugely, hugely important. Important to God, important in the life of the church. But I want to read another passage, and this is in 2 Corinthians. You can turn there as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to start with the second part of verse 21 and read through to 33. And I don't want to paint just this rosy picture of missions. I mean, missions is a wonderful thing. I don't mean that. But as though it's just, it's all roses. It's wonderful. You know, rainbows. Nothing bad ever happens. And people are always coming to faith. And there's no hardship that ever comes upon you. And it's just wonderful. It is wonderful work in that we're serving the Lord. uh, And we're bearing fruit for his kingdom. And and fruit that lasts. And that's wonderful and great. But there's also another side to things where there is hardship. There is suffering. And here we're going to look at the life of Paul. and looking at Paul's life, and certainly, right, from the moment of his conversion all the way, going all the way up to his death, right, every moment of his life was lived fervently in service to the Lord and carrying out missions work, going on missionary journey after missionary journey after missionary journey. But again, as we look at his life, and we're going to here, it's not like, oh, he just lived such a comfortable life, and he was wealthy, and he had tons of friends, and everything went easily and smoothly, right? That's not the life of Paul. Uh, and we're going to read, rather, that there was much hardship. And as we think of missions, we need to recognize that, uh, as, as with just following Christ, period, end of story, not just missions work, we can expect that there is a cost, that we can expect in life hardship and suffering and persecution and trials to come. We're told that in Scripture. But how much more so can we expect those hardships and trials to come when we're actively serving the Lord uh, and joining him in his great missions work, his rescue mission work? And so let's read here about Paul. Here he's, if we want to talk about the context here, it's not that his goal in this context is to talk about the hardships uh, of missions work, but his goal here, right, you have the Corinthian church, they're always going astray, right, we think of the Corinthian church, and that's probably not the model church that you want to go and model your church after, right, they had their difficulties, uh, and there had been some false apostles who sort of crept in, these super apostles, as Paul sort of mockingly calls them, right, because they're not super apostles at all. Uh, And so Paul feels the need to, to in a sense, defend his own apostleship over and against these false apostles who have worked their way into the Corinthian church. And so that's what he's doing here. 
But the way in which he sort of makes a case for his apostleship is not by boasting the way the world might boast, but in a sense by boasting of his sufferings, all that he suffered for Christ. And so that's what he's speaking of here. So starting at verse 21, the second half there, uh, I'll read it for us. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Aratus had the city of the Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. Right, you read this, you, you can almost marvel at the fact that this guy's still alive somehow at this point. You figure probably if you face all these things, you're not going to make it out with your life. And of course, it's only by God's grace that he did. And ultimately, he would pay uh, with his life, of course, because of his faithfulness in, in serving the Lord. Um, but as we look at this here, we recognize that this is what came about as a result of Paul's faithfulness to the mission's work that God had given to him, right? God had appointed him to be uh, really his faithful servant, to bring the gospel to the Gentile world, uh, to carry out that missional work. That was God's, God's calling upon his life, and Paul was faithful to that. And yet this is what came about. That doesn't mean that there weren't times in his life that where things may have gone a little more smoothly and he wasn't in prison or hungry and so forth. But the reality is because of his faithfulness, because of uh, his faithfulness just in general to the Lord, but his faithfulness in this mission's work, right, there was a cause. There was suffering. There was hardship. And that doesn't mean that for every missionary who goes out there and is carrying out the work that God has laid before them is going to face this degree of, of hardship. I'm not trying to say that. Certainly this is probably an extreme case in a sense. But one can expect as one's being faithful to the Lord, is serving Him faithfully, bearing witness for Christ wherever He goes, whether in, in sort of vocational missions work or even for us just in our daily lives as we go about our daily lives going out into the world and we're faithfully serving as witnesses for Christ. We can expect some sort of pushback from a world that doesn't want to hear about Jesus, that doesn't love Jesus, that would rather live in sin. We can expect that pushback. We can expect hardship. We can expect persecution. We can expect suffering. And our response shouldn't be to sort of turn away and say, well, then I'm out. I'm done. No more missions work for me. I want to live an easy, comfortable life. But rather, of course, we should double down, in a sense, in our efforts and commitment to the Lord and say, I don't care what suffering comes my way. I don't care what hardship. I love the Lord. I love him more than anything else. And no matter what comes my way, I'm going to serve him faithfully. 
But in a sense, as we, as we think about missions, I don't want us to think that there will never be anything hard that comes our way. But rather, I want us to have a healthy understanding of missions work and to recognize all the more so we should expect the world to oppose us. All the more so we should expect persecution and hardship and suffering. But that shouldn't deter us, right? But rather, we should all the more so just be committed to the Lord and say, in spite of whatever comes my way, I'm going to serve Him faithfully to the end. But I sort of want to kind of come back and look at this big picture again, a little bit recap where we, what we've talked about, where we've come in the sermon, and then, in a sense, apply all that we've learned to our lives. So we sort of looked at the Great Commission, right, some of these other passages, and what we recognize is, is really the importance of this mission work, right? This is God's mission. He's on this rescue mission. That's why Christ came. He continues to be on this rescue mission, right, uh, reaching people for his kingdom, leading them into his kingdom, into uh, faith, leading them to faith in him, into his kingdom to receive forgiveness, eternal life, a restored relationship with him. This is God's rescue mission, but he graciously invites us into it. And I think all too often our, our mindset toward missions is sort of, well, we like the idea of it. It sounds great, but when it comes to us actually going and doing it, it's something that, well, maybe we're uncomfortable with. We're uncomfortable sharing our faith. Maybe we're okay supporting missions way far over there, and that's part of supporting missions work, and we'll talk about that. But maybe in our own personal lives, we're not so comfortable with sharing our faith with people. seems a little bit difficult. We're a little hesitant to, toward it. Uh, and so we shy away all too often. But we need to recognize the great importance of mission work, that God has invited us into this work. And we shouldn't view it as a burden, but rather as a great joy, a great privilege, that God sees fit to incorporate us in this great mission of his. He doesn't have to. He doesn't need us. He can do anything he wants on his own, period, end of story, no qualification. But he delights in having his people join him in this work, and it's a great privilege, a great joy, and we should view it that way and not as a burden. And it is certainly hugely important work. This is God's mission in the world to rescue people from sin uh, and the power of sin. And so as we think about missions, it shouldn't be just sort of something on the periphery where well, we do our, our sort of church thing and every now and then we want to think about missions work uh, and be engaged in it. But this is something that's sort of in many ways at the core and fundamental to the life of the church. There are other things that are fundamental and at the core of the life of the church, of course, focusing on the Lord and worshiping Him. That's certainly front and center. But this missions work is hugely important in the life of the church and shouldn't be, in a sense, on the periphery, but should very much be at the center of the life of the church. But even as we think of missions, I don't want us just to have a work perspective of it's always easy, it's always, you know, smooth sailing. And probably that isn't our, our picture of it. I, I don't think that that probably is. But we should rather expect hardship. We should expect the world to oppose this work of God. But we should still be committed uh, to the Lord and to this work of God, this missional work of God, no matter what comes our way. But as we think about sort of application in the sense to say, what's our takeaway? As we think about missions, and we're going to continue to focus on missions after this service, as well as we have our Meet the Missionaries event. Uh, But sort of what's our takeaway? Uh, I want us, in regard to our application, to recognize that missions is something that is both global and local. And I think it can be easy to emphasize one at the expense of another. Uh, those two elements should always be there as we talk about missions work and God's mission that we're invited into. There's sort of the global missions work that is way over there in India or China or wherever, uh, you know, whatever place it may be, where there are people who, and people groups that are utterly unreached uh, or hardly reached with the gospel and people really don't know about Christ or anything or never even heard his name, know nothing. Uh, and we need to be engaged in that global missions work, uh, join the Lord in that work of his, 
And what does that mean for us? You know, for some people that means, well, vocationally God calls them and raises them up to serve as a missionary. For most people that's not the case. For most of us here we're probably saying, well, that's not God's calling on my life. So how can I have a role in this global work of God in relation to missions? And I'd say, it's, well, it's through prayer. We can always be lifting up our missionaries in prayer. It's through financial support. We can always be financially supporting those who are uh, serving the Lord and sort of the, uh, on the ends of the earth, right? On the fringes of the church world, right? Building up God's kingdom. We can be supporting them financially, praying for them day in, day out, praying that God's kingdom would move forward, people would enter into it. Uh, we can be supporting in that way. But I also want us to focus on, as well, not just sort of the global side of missions, but the local side of missions, and to recognize that, in a sense, the mission field isn't just way far off, uh, but rather we live in the mission field day in and day out. In a sense, the only time when we're not on the mission field, and even then it's not to say that it's fully true, but is when we come here on Sundays and we gather with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and even then you could go to most church gatherings and as you look around, not 100% are truly followers of the Lord. And even then there's a sense in which it can be a mission field. But as we leave here today, as we go about our lives, wherever we head, we go to hang out with family, friends, we go to work, we're on the mission field. And we are called in our daily lives uh, as members of God's church, as his people, we are called to bear witness for him wherever we go. Whether that's at the grocery store, at your workplace, maybe it's even when you're hanging out with family and they don't follow the Lord. They don't believe in him. They haven't given their lives to him. Or you're just hanging out with your friends. That's being on the mission field. And we're called to faithfully bear witness for Christ in all of our circumstances in every moment. And I think oftentimes we sort of don't emphasize that side of missions. And we sort of think of it as something that's way far off. We live in the U.S. Isn't this a Christian country? Right? We send the missionaries. We don't receive the missionaries so much. Often that's our way of thinking. And there is truth to that. We do want to support global missions, and that's hugely important. But we need to recognize that in an ever-increasing way, we live in a, in a country, even in a culture, even where more and more people are far away from the Lord. Uh, they're not church. They know very little, if anything, about, about Christ, about the gospel. Right? And as we go about our lives, we're on the mission field, and we need to be faithful witnesses for Christ day in and day out. And that's really our application for us. I want us to understand those two sides of missions, global and local, and really engage in both of them. Engage in global missions by supporting missionaries, by praying for them, or even going on a mission trip. You can go on a short-term mission trip and be a support to that church maybe that, that's just growing, that's just been established in some far-off country, far-off place, and help to support that church by going and being on a short-term mission trip, whatever it is. But be engaged in global missions, but also recognize we're on a mission field right here, right now, in our country, in our town, in our world, right here, where we are, in, in, in the local perspective, and to recognize that's a mission field as well, and to engage in that local mission work that God has given to us to recognize where to be his missionaries day in and day out, bearing witness for him, sharing about Christ, whether that's just by living a life of faithful service unto the Lord and people take notice. But at times we're going to be called to share with words as well and to be ready to really just proclaim the truth of the gospel and bear witness for him and serve him as faithful servants, as faithful Witnesses of Christ as faithful missionaries in that local setting as well. And so let's support missions locally and globally for the building up of the church and also for God's glory. Amen. And let's pray. Lord God, you have this wondrous and glorious mission 
to rescue people, lost people, sinful people from sin. And you have invited us into this great rescue mission. And what a privilege that is, what an honor, what a joy it is. May we always view it that way and not as a burden. Not this burden, some feeling of, oh, now I have to share my faith. Do I really have to, Lord? But may we view it with great joy and view it as a privilege and an opportunity to serve you faithfully and be used by you for the building up of your kingdom. As we think of missions, may we understand and focus on on both aspects, the global side of things, recognizing that there are places in the world that are utterly unreached with the gospel or virtually unreached with the gospel. There are people who know nothing of you, and they're not going to hear about you. They're not going to come to faith in you unless someone goes and faithfully proclaims the truth about you. The truth about what you have done for us, Lord Jesus. And we want to support that global missions work. Whether it's by praying for those missionaries, praying for those churches that are just being planted in faraway places. Whether it's supporting financially. Whether it's going and engaging in a direct way. Going on some sort of short-term mission trip. Whatever it is, Lord, help us to be engaged in And reveal to us, each and every one of us, how you're calling us as individuals to engage in that global missions work, Lord. We also pray that you would help us to recognize the importance of local missions as well. Not just to emphasize the global side, but to recognize that we're on a mission field in our daily lives. Each and every moment, there are lost people all around us, everywhere we look. And you've called us to reach out to those lost people with the gospel, to be missionaries day in and day out, maybe not professionally or vocationally so, but nonetheless, we are called to be faithful missionaries and faithfully bear witness to a lost world and help us not to lose sight of that, but to serve you faithfully in that regard for the building up of your church, for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.